I invite you to listen for the word of God this morning from the Gospel of Luke. The context of this narrative is Jesus uh, journeying through the Holy Land on his way to Jerusalem. The whole time he's been on his way to Jerusalem. At this point in his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus is being followed by large crowds. He had drawn a crowd. He was very popular. Listen now for the word of God. In Luke 14, beginning at the 25th chapter. Now a large crowd were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, Whoever comes after me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete the tower? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is unable to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then he, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all that you have. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So about a year ago, I moved into downtown Charlottesville. I'm a Charlottesvillian. I've become involved in Charlottesville civics. I walk around downtown quite a bit. And almost every day, I, I have to walk by a monument. It is a monument to dysfunction, underfunding, and inefficiency. I walk by this monument every day. You have erected this monument. It's been there, I don't know, over a decade. It is your monument. It is a monument to our community. It is a monument to the dysfunction that we all know the world is all about. It happens all the time. People commit to a foursome and they only have a threesome. Tommy. Then the preacher has to bail them out on Sunday morning. Tommy. The Dewberry Hotel project, uh, as a city planner, is an embarrassment to me. 
I mean, I didn't start it, but I'm kind of responsible. I got to own it. You got to own it. We all have to own it. It bugs me. It embarrasses me every time I walk by it. But you know what it does to me mostly? It is a monument that reminds me how hard it is to accomplish anything. Anything of substance is difficult. And it will not be accomplished without somebody sacrificing. It doesn't come easy. It's supposed to be hard. Somebody was unwilling to do what it takes to complete that project. I believe perhaps the most ambitious project ever undertaken by human beings is the church of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus across the globe, across the generations, across the cultures, across the languages, across the political perspectives, across tastes in music and art and architecture. And human beings have undertaken this project for 2,000 years, and you know what? I think it's pretty impressive. It's beautiful. It's wondrous. It's marvelous. I have committed my life to it. I've given what I have to be a part of this beautiful thing which God created in Jesus Christ when he called us to be the body of Christ in this world, the evidence of the resurrection. That's who you are. And I'm grateful that you don't look like the Derby Hotel Project. Or sometimes you do. I mean, if you've been in the church long enough, you know enough to see its warts and how it's incomplete and not quite where it ought to be, where you think it ought to be, or maybe where others think it ought to be. But we have undergone this project together, and for most of us, I know for me, it has required that I am willing to put some things aside in, either, in order to put the church first, in order to put Christ first, in order to put God first, I have had to put other things second or third or lower down because this is what is required. See, the church, it is amazing. It's, most, most uh, observers would say it shouldn't be here. There's no way it should have lasted as long as it has. It's the biggest thing ever attempted. Thank God we didn't have to do it on our own power, but God gave us the Holy Spirit. I would argue that the greatest thing ever accomplished in all of creation is the redemption of this world by the love of God in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, God revealed love. Love is the most powerful element there is. Love is who God is. And in Jesus Christ, this love was revealed, and in the resurrection, the power of love was demonstrated. But the power of this love was lived out first in Jesus and his willingness to sacrifice. So while the biggest thing ever accomplished may be the redemption of this world, in Jesus Christ. It is this love that was revealed when Jesus 
put everything else aside, even his own life, and he gave it so love can be revealed. If you want to know what you love, I would ask you, what have you sacrificed for? What have you put other things second in order to do? Is it a football game? Is it yoga? What are the things? I, th- I would say by your presence here today, you could be lots of other places this Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day outside. You have sacrificed this hour. You have set it aside. You have put it first. In the gospel lesson that I read to you, um, the gospel of Luke's context is all about Jesus with his face set toward Jerusalem. He is going to get to Jerusalem, and he knows what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, the love of God is going to be revealed in this world, and it's going to require him hanging on a cross. And therefore, he turned to his disciples and said, unless you take up your cross, you can't know the fullness of the love of God. What awaited Jesus in Jerusalem was the knowledge that love was going to be proven and displayed to the world. That God's love will be shown to the world in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we have this cross. You come to church every morning. Christians all around the world come to worship and there's a cross on a table or on a wall somewhere. You can't escape them. Some of you are wearing a cross this morning. That cross is there to say, this will cost you. To know the love and the grace of, and the mercy of God, the assurance of salvation and the resurrection is to put God first. The symbol of the cross is our blessed reminder that the love of God is revealed and proven through sacrifice. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ looks like a folly to people who are not spiritually grounded in God. You are failures unless the love of God in Christ has entered your heart and you have given yourself over to this love and this redemption and this resurrection and this hope that doesn't make sense to the world. See, Jesus had a lot of people following him uh, for quite a while. They were attracted to him because I imagine he was just something about him. People wanted to be near him. You could tell by the way the disciples dropped everything and went with him. And then he goes around the country and he, he performs miracles. He feeds 5,000 people. He heals people. He makes the blind see and the lame walk and crowds are coming together and he tells these great stories and these wonderful parables and he makes all the wise learned people look like fools. And he promises hope and and regeneration to the Hebrew religion that, that some people had kind of gotten, it's gotten kind of crusty and, and, and legalistic. And he promised that it could be revitalized that God is in it. He said, I'm gonna, these Romans are not going to be victorious over you. They were hoping that, that the Romans would be gone and their new political reality would be better. 
And they were, they were following Jesus. He, was, he had it all. He had it all. And he had crowds following him. That is until he turned to them and said, you can't be my disciples unless you give it all away. You can't be my disciples, he said, unless you hate your father and your mother and your wife and your husband and your sister and your brother and life itself. What's that all about? How is it that Jesus would turn to this crowd that is following him and do the exact thing that would limit and reduce the number of people in the crowd? They fell away after that. And the saddest part about that is it means that the spiritual life that people desire, this life that is eternal and lived in the divine love and presence of God, is something that we have to be willing to sacrifice everything else for. See, apparently, according to Jesus, the worst thing you can do, if, if you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to be a person who is grounded in God and whom the love of God is what fulfills you and gives you meaning and purpose and the way you see this world, the worst thing you can do is start on a path of faith and then sort of let it fizzle out. It's embarrassing to start to build a tower and then not be able to complete it. To promise you're going to have a foursome and only have a threesome. You have to be willing to sacrifice some of your pride, some of the things that are precious to you, life itself, in order to preserve the thing that is most important, your relationship with God and Jesus Christ, your eternal soul. This king that, that was going to go out and fight another king. You know what his behavior revealed? It revealed that there was something he cared about. More than he cared about his own pride. Because no king wants to submit to another king. But he figured it out. He counted. He said, if I go out and face this king with 10,000 and he has 20,000, I'm not going to have what I want. That spiritual life that you desire, that assurance of salvation, that meaning and purpose of life, you're not going to have that unless you're willing to count the cost. Now, we live in a world where one of the costs people hate to give up now is compromise. Our politicians, I will go to Washington and I will never compromise. What happens to kings that don't compromise is they lose the thing they love the most. Their nation is wiped out and slaughtered and their people are dead. So what the king does is he sacrifices his pride and he sends a delegation to sue for peace. You see, that was the hard thing for a king to sacrifice his pride. When you think about your life and the things that you have put second in order to pursue a life of faith in the church, think about those opportunities you have had to not pursue the way of Jesus. I know for me and my family, my, uh, my children have watched us uh, through their lives not compromise. Do we have to go to church today? Do we have to go to worship? Yeah. 
We, can't we go play travel soccer? No. Each of you have made these choices in your life, and I would believe, I know it is for me, especially when it comes down to money, that those sacrifices and commitments I have made in my spiritual life are the most precious to my faith. I will not give them up because they have filled me and, 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 and given me that security that will endure all hardship. My relationship with God cannot be just one of the things in my life. It has to be the thing. And everything else comes second. You have to care more about what God wants than what you want. And once you determine that, then your faith life will blossom the love of God will bloom within you. You will become a giver. You will put others before yourself. The world doesn't get that. Why in the world would you do that? I asked uh, Phil this week if he knew who Gail Sayers was. No. Brian Piccolo. No. Brian Song. Yes. Right. No. You know what I'm talking about? It's a great story of an athlete who came back after a huge knee injury, nobody thought he could do it, and he got the most valuable player trophy, and he stood up there and he said, this trophy belongs to me today, but tomorrow it's going to be Brian Piccolo's, who just died, who was dying of cancer. His friend, who had inspired and equipped him to accomplish what he had done, and he gave that trophy away. And he later wrote a book called I Am Third, where he spells out what it means to be willing to let go of the things precious to you, your time, your relationships, your money, your assets, your talents, your gifts, your presence, and put it second or third. This is, should not be news to good church people. I mean, it goes as far back as Moses in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment. You will have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. I don't like jealous people. You know, they make me feel like, oh, I But God said that right up front. I am jealous. I, I, won't, I won't have other gods before me. And the beauty of what Jesus revealed is that once we as human beings give up ourselves we begin this beautiful journey of love with God that eclipses all else and it saves us we are saved from death and darkness we are saved from the depression of the world we are saved from all the things that make us frightened and we try to pursue a righteous life so Jesus, when he turned to this crowd, and he, I, don't, I don't really believe he was trying to whittle the crowd down. I'm not trying to whittle the church down. What he was trying to do was say, if you want this beautiful life that is ours in, in the love of God, then you've got to give up everything else, and it will fill you. Do not be afraid to pursue a life of love and righteousness. Put God first in your life and all else will be provided. This is the promise of the gospel. This is how you don't become the Derby Hotel in your spiritual life. 
if you think about it, there are regrets that we all have. Every time I look at the Derby Hotel, I'm going to pray to God, God, don't let my regrets define me. But instead, fill me with a willingness to give what I got to give, to sacrifice what must be sacrificed in order to pursue a life with you. Thanks be to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.